Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's my pleasure to introduce our next storyteller, Brad Byron, a New York City native who got his law degree at the University of Iowa. He works at the Johnston Martineau Law Firm, and he keeps a very fat monitor lizard as a pet of all things. (laughs) (laughs) Break a leg. I remember when I was 10 years old, I was in fifth grade, and my grandfather had recently passed away. It had been a week, we sat shiva, which is the Jewish ritual of mourning, and it was time to help my grandmother re-enter her home again. So we all got into the car in Staten Island, we went over the Verrazano Bridge and into Canarsie, Brooklyn, and I remember walking up the very heavy steel stairs of the brownstone. It was cold, we entered the door to the apartment, and it was spartan. I remember growing up, it was never decorated. There was never anything really on the walls, maybe one picture, one couch. My mother prompted her mother-in-law, my grandmother Vicky, to quickly get to do something so her mind wouldn't stay so focused on on Poppy Mark. So she said, Vicky, let's go upstairs and we'll clean out the closet. So I kind of followed my mom, my grandmother, we go upstairs. And the bedroom, it's this like 1950s pink and puce color, it's fabulous. (laughs) And (laughs) so they go into the closet to start cleaning things out and I sit myself down with my back against the dresser and I just like sit on the floor and I find a book I probably left once before. I open the book, I look over the top of the book and just past my feet, I see underneath the bed, there's this very large like patent leather blue suitcase. I'm like, what is this doing here? So I I get my fat little body, I squat down, I go underneath the bed and I start looking and I I see it's perfectly clean. No dust on top of it. And I try pulling on it and it's really, really heavy. So I pull and I pull and I get it to reveal it to the light of the room. And it has those really heavy like 1960s style buckles on a suitcase. And I flip them and it goes clunk really loudly. And I know I'm in trouble at this point. And I turn around and I see my mother kind of popping out her head from the closet. And she's looking at me, looking at the suitcase. And she turns right into the closet and she goes, Vicky, you going somewhere? <laughs> and without missing a beat, my, my grandmother goes, eh, you never know. <laughs> so let me translate that to you from Holocaust survivor into English. You never know. You never know when they come for you and you must leave house. They knock on your door, middle of night. You don't know they're coming. They knock on your door. They say, you leave now or you die. We kill you if you don't leave. So what do you do? You pack suitcase, you get family, you go. You don't want to die. You don't expect Holocaust. You listen to me, Bradela. Remember this, she called me Bradela. She said, we are guests in this country. We will always be immigrants. 
and that really encapsulates what it was like for me to grow up as a Jew in New York City. I always felt like an immigrant because that's what we were told. We're guests. But something else really scared me, which was that, wait, she said her friends came to her door with basically pitchforks ready to kill her, telling her to leave her house. And I think, I have great friends. I don't think they're going to kill me. What, what does this mean? Do I need a suitcase? It became part of my DNA growing up to always worry about what's going to happen next. So as time went on, I graduated high school, graduated college, and I decided to apply to law school. And I got into a bunch of different law schools, and you follow the common wisdom, which is you go to the best law school you get into, and University of Iowa, it's top 20 law school, you go for it. My parents are like, you sure you want to go to Iowa? Um, so I was like convincing myself, super gung-ho, I'm like, I'm going to go from bagels and locks to go hawks, and let's do it. So August of 2008, my dad's like, okay, let's start schlepping your stuff across country now, right? <laughs> so, uh, but just a little bit of background. At this point, my family lives in upstate New York. There's a lot of terrain. We have mountains, we have hills, ravines, old growth forest. In fact, autumn is such a, a stark contrast in colors that the astronauts in the International Space Station, they can tell it's fall when they look at New York State, because it's bright red. There are crimson colors, oranges. Well, we start moving cross-country in August, and uh, the terrain starts to change. Not so mountainous anymore, not too many ravines. And we sleep over in Toledo, just you know, halfway point, let's say. And my dad wakes up the next day, puts the key in the ignition, he doesn't turn it on, and he goes, you know we can still turn back, right? <laughs> And I'm like, no, we got this, Let, let's go. We're going to Iowa. Okay, we go to Iowa. So we keep driving and we approach the Mississippi and the Mississippi is, you know, this, it's a gigantic river, but it's also a divide, this margin, this threshold that you're crossing not geographically only, but also kind of inside yourself. And you descend towards the river and you look across and you see this gigantic billboard towards your right side, welcome to Iowa, fields of opportunity. And you look around, not too many mountains, not too many, not much forest, but it's beautiful, it's golden, it's just lovely. I arrived there August 8th, 2008, and August 11th, a newfound friend, John Singer, says, I got you a ticket to go to the Iowa State Fair. You'll learn a lot about Iowa there. <laughs> so, we, uh, <laughs> I, 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 you know, wake up early in the morning and he's just like, let's go. And we get there with a group of other law students and uh, we park the car and I see the entrance going to walk over there. We open the car door and you smell like deep fry. Like it's just <laughs> this wafting of deep fry. And I'm like, oh, okay, it's like a state fair. There are things being fried. Sure, carnival. And you get closer, and you get towards the entrance, and then all of a sudden the smell of like stale beer and urine starts to like emanate. I'm like, mm, yay, go Hawks. Um, so we get just past, the, just past the concession, and it starts to smell like chicken feed and manure. Well, I know now it's chicken feed and manure. And then there's a little petting area for little cute baby animals. I'm like, okay, this is fine. And then I see the sign that says butter cow, and I'm like, oh, 
butter comes from cows. I know that. Isn't, doesn't everyone know that dairy comes from cows? And they're just like, go into that building. It's really interesting. So we go into this very large, kind of like cotton candy smelling building. And we walk in, there's a butter cow. <laughs> it is a cow, a large bovine made of butter. Who would have thought? But right next to it <laughs> was a butter sculpture of uh, then Olympiad, Sean Johnson. And so I learned that, you know, the highest form of flattery apparently is to be <laughs> made into a statue of dairy products. Just like New York. Um, so we're walking around and I see these people carrying these trays of what I now know are cheese curds. And they're just like all going straight towards the beer tent. And let me tell you, this is like Mecca during Ramadan. These people are just, it is popular. They are running towards this beer tent and okay then, go beer. And then I see like just in these crowds, there's like a five or six year old girl schlepping behind her with the rope is like a 700 pound cow and she's just walking. She's just walking through a crowd of people pulling this gigantic, animal and I'm like should we find her mom or something like are we is this just like a thing am I the am I the weird one worried about you know a small child and so and I'm thinking to myself okay wildlife New York City we have like squirrels pigeons like subway rats I don't know so like at this point I'm thinking I feel like a guest I feel like an immigrant Grandma proved herself right. So I'm in law school now. I'm attending. And January 15th, 2009, I went on this fantastic date with a man named Matthew. His family's from Algona. When I asked them, like, how many generations are you from Iowa? They're just like, just say umpty umpth. I'm like, okay, sure. So umpty umpth generations of Iowans. Salt of the earth, great people from the metropolis of Algona. Um, exactly. So we had a wonderful first date. April 3rd, 2009, the Varnum v. Breen decision comes down from the Iowa State Supreme Court, which recognized equal rights for same-sex couples to get married. And it was a really incredible decision. Yeah, that's right, it is. It was so incredible because it was one, it was unanimous in Iowa, it became the fourth state in the union to beat, let's just say, many other states like New York. And it also was based upon the Iowa State Constitution, not the federal constitution, but the Iowa Constitution. And I remember finding out about this because I was in Professor Stensvog's civil procedure class and diligently taking notes on my laptop. And so I was looking up the, and I see the news, and I'm kind of like dancing in my seat, and I, I text Matthew, I'm like, we should go out to lunch, we should celebrate. So we go, we're in Iowa City, we get some lunch, we get a glass of wine, and you know, we're just kind of like blissful and happy. And we go towards the back of the old Capitol where you can kind of like oversee the river, it's beautiful, and we just kind of start dancing to this music in our heart. And I thought about it, and the best way to describe it is blissful contemplation. It's the sense of, gosh, what would you do if you ever won the lottery? Hmm, I don't know, what would you do? But what if you actually won the lottery? Like, oh, now I actually have to do something about it. So we felt like, wow, we won the lottery, we can do something now. It's fantastic. 
October 10th, 2010, we got married in Marengo, Iowa at Fireside Winery and a great little family-owned Fireside Winery. And our friend Gail Brashears Krug, uh, she officiated our wedding. It was wonderful. Being small town Iowa, she was also my law professor, you know, just you do a lot of things. And it was this beautiful wedding. And there were three tables when you entered the reception. The first table were pictures of my family, the old country, uh, you know, Russia, Poland, all of these pictures, Ellis Island, Brooklyn. Then the next table were pictures of my husband's family of Kasuth County way back in the day. It turned <laughs> way back in the day, like not paved roads, like way back in the day. And then the third table were pictures of the two of us coming together our vacations, our holidays, our dogs, you know, things showing us coming together. And it was this beautiful reception. People were really happy. And it continues to this day. We keep merging things, coming together, and we blend things. So for example, we have, you know, latkes at Christmas time. We have Iowa wine at Passover. And, <laughs> I don't know which part's more surprising, Iowa, <laughs> Iowa wine or that at Passover. So, um, but we also have this gorgeous oil painting of the prophet Simeon holding the baby Jesus right next to our kachuba, our Jewish marriage license. We blend things, we merge things, it comes together and the two separate things apart wouldn't as, be as great as us coming together. And I think about that. I think about what my grandmother said. She had a suitcase under her bed. We're always going to be guests. We're always going to be immigrants. You never know when you need to go. And I still have some of that in me. I mean, I don't have like a bug out bag ready to go at any moment. And I've met such incredible people. I have incredible friends here, a great boss. And, but there are little things you know, still stuck inside my head. So for example, when I enter my house at night, I lock the door behind me before I take off my shoes before I go to sleep, all the door doors are locked. And whenever I enter a room, I just look to see where the exits are. It's just part of who we are. But you know what? I'm not afraid of my neighbors knocking on my door one night, telling me, leave or we're gonna kill you. Iowans are good people. They're great people. And the best part is, I finally feel like I'm home. Thank you.